church. I want to welcome all of you across the network. Super glad each and every one of you are here. And if you're a guest with us, I'm especially glad you're here. We are continuing a conversation we started last week that we're wrapping up this week focused on money. And I realize that that subject can be uncomfortable for people, but once again, I want to reiterate, I have no intent to pry. I don't even intend to tell you what to do. All I want to do is create space to understand what Jesus says about our treasure and how we should handle it to see if there's anything that we need to change, what we need to continue. But I realize it can be an uncomfortable subject. It's one of those things that's kind of taboo and off limits. It ranks right up there with sex and politics. We don't talk about sex, politics, or money. It's a private matter. Listen, as much as I get that, I understand and recognize that perspective. I love you too much not to talk about it. Jesus talked more about money than nearly every other subject. He talked about money more than heaven and hell. Nearly a third of his recorded parables were about money. In the Gospel of Luke alone, something like one in every seven verses talked about money. We would be remiss if we didn't talk about what he talked about most. Now, if you missed last week, I strongly encourage you to get online and check it out. We laid some foundational concepts, but one of the things we leaned into and spent a lot of time in is answering the question, who has what? Just addressing the question, who has what? Because no matter who you are, where you come from, whether you have a lot or have little, who has what is a question that we intersect with, land on, pass through at some point. We all ask the question. But we can ask it differently. Because the world asks this question saying, okay, who has what? Whoever has the most has power and whoever has power wins. You and I as individuals can ask this question and say, okay, who, who has what? Who has, who has the most? Who, they must be more important. They must have more value. But when God looks at this question, he asks this question, he's asking who has trust? Who has priority? Who has dependence? Who has his heart? Whose heart does he have? Who has what matters? Jesus said, who has what determines the condition, location, and direction of our heart. In fact, he said in, in Matthew 6, verse 21, he said, for wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's a fact. Our, our heart follows our treasure. Our heart that was created to follow him can follow it because our heart was not created to lead but to follow and to follow him. 
Which is one of the reasons why Proverbs 4 reminds us that we need to guard our hearts above all else because everything we do flows from that. Our heart. It is a matter and an issue of the heart. Now, I, I get that money can be a sensitive subject. But I think and understand it's sensitive because it connects to our heart. It actually reveals things about us. It says things about us that maybe we're not ready to say or haven't said out loud. I get the sensitivity. I understand the nuances. Yet, it has too much influence in our lives not to talk about it. So, we're talking about money. <laughs> and the exits are located there, there, and there. <laughs> it's my flight attendant uh, imitation. Listen, listen, you don't need to run. Don't run from this. You actually want this conversation. You need this conversation, even if you don't feel it. Trust me. Now, understand something. I want to break the ice, and I want to break the ice in a very similar way that we did last time. I know it's kind of repetitious, but I think it's important and healthy, so I want to invite all of you across our network, wherever you are, I want you to turn to somebody and say, we're going to talk about money. Just turn right now and say, we're going to talk about money. Tell them it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay because Jesus talked about money. Say that, because Jesus talked about money. All right, good, good, good. Now listen, how many of you by show of hands have ever played the game musical chairs? Oh yeah, a lot of you. It's a popular fun game and it doesn't take a whole lot. All we need is some music, a group of people, and one less chair than the number of players. And the game is played. When the music starts, people start moving around. When the music stops, you grab a seat. And if you don't get a seat, what happens? You're out. You're out. You either get a seat or you're out. We use our speed and our skill to get to a seat. We use our timing and position to get to one, and we may even use our strength to fight for that seat and to make sure it's ours. It's a fun game. You either get a chair or you're out. But the thing about that game is it's all based in scarcity. The intensity of that game is rooted in the rules and scarcity. You get a chair or you're out. Which is actually kind of fun in a game. <laughs> Sometimes people get hurt. That's sad. <laughs> it's fun in a game. But it's not so fun in life. See, scarcity leads to fear. And fear challenges trust. Which is why I want to take time today to talk specifically about how faith overcomes fear as we choose to trust. That's your first fill in a note, God, if you're tracking with that today. Faith overcomes fear as we choose to trust. As we choose to what? Trust. Listen, that, that, it's fun in a game, scarcity. And the reality is that scarcity leads to fear and fear challenges trust. It happens in games, but it also happens in our finances. And faith overcomes fear as we choose to trust. And we live in a world with lots of uncertainty. We live in a world with conflict. We live in a world with disunity and, and different confrontations, even hostility. And we have a fear of what we might lose. We have a fear of what might happen. And in those spaces, we can begin to look for certainty and stability in the wrong places. We may have good intentions. We may even have pure motives in doing that. But we can place our trust in the wrong things. We can place our trust in lesser things. It's one of the reasons why King David specifically declared where he put his trust. He did it in Psalm 20, verse 7. We looked at it briefly last week. It says, some trust in chariots and some in horses. Some trust in things of the world. 
the strength of humanity, the strength of what we can accomplish. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Our willingness and ability to take this posture changes everything about our life. Everything about it. It changes the way we play the game. It changes the rules. See, scarcity leads to fear. But trust leads to freedom. Faith overcomes fear when we choose to trust, when we choose to trust in the right things. So, we're talking about money. But we're not just talking about having money, we're actually talking about having trust. Really, at the core of this conversation is an issue of who has trust. We're, we're talking about trust. In our definition and understanding of trust, it's about where we place our confidence. It's, it's where we place our, our belief in or in something else. And we've got a dictionary def a definition of trust, that to have trust or confidence in, to rely on or depend on. It's the verb, to believe. We're, we're not just talking about having money, we're talking about having trust. Where we rely upon, put confidence in someone or something. Who has what matters. And last week we looked at a parable that Jesus told that helped us understand how he views how we should handle our treasure. And today what I want to do is look at an, a direct interaction that he had with one individual. Someone who actually got caught between faith and fear because they weren't willing to trust. At least there was a limit to the trust they were willing to give. So let's just get to it. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark. Second book of the New Testament. We're going to be in chapter 10. And we're picking this up in an interaction between Jesus and a man who thought he was on the right track, but he actually stopped short. And you're going to find it in your note guide. It'll be up here on the screen. But I invite you to follow along. And one of the things I love about Scripture is it gives us the ability to listen in as a fly on the wall. And in this interaction, we get to do that. So let's, let's do that right now. Mark 10, starting at verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is a really good start. He's showing reverence. He's seeking Jesus for the answer. This is good. But Jesus says, verse 18, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, he says that not to just push on the guy or to challenge the guy's question, but to actually position him and to help him out. To position him to acknowledge by faith who Jesus was. But then he says in verse 19, You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He's just going through the, the list of the rules. Verse 20, Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Now, these few verses are just packed full of good stuff. This, this man was, was actually dedicated. He, he, was, he was diligently following the rules of the Jewish faith. But he felt like he was still missing something. He felt like there was more to, to the journey than just rules. And because he felt like he was missing something, he sought out Jesus to figure out what that was. And, and maybe you have felt that thing in your own journey along the way. Like, man, I'm trying to do this, but I feel like something's missing. Maybe you tried to connect with God and you connect your heart to Him and you just feel like something's not quite right, that there has to be more, that there, there's something along the way that just isn't quite there yet. And I got to tell you, I have been in those spaces. This guy was in one of those spaces, even in this conversation at this point. So he goes to Jesus to find an answer, which again is really good. Going to Jesus to get answers is where we should go to get answers. But what's interesting to me is that Jesus responds by pointing out the rules the man has already been following. <laughs> 
It may seem a bit odd, but Jesus was positioning him to see more than he was asking for. Jesus wanted the man to move into understanding, not just knowledge. He wanted him to move not to, to faith and not just belief. In order to do that, that will always require placing our trust in the right spaces and places. It requires us extending trust. So let's just step back into the, this interaction with Jesus and this rich young man. He's, he's about to identify, Jesus is about to identify what this man still needs. So this is verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him, which I'm going to tell you, that is probably one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. That our Lord Jesus, he looks and he loves. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. Go, sell, give, and then come follow me. So Jesus gives this man a to-do list. It's not long, just a handful of things. Go, sell, give, and come follow. Jesus, in this interaction, was not elevating the conversation around possessions or the conversation around money to establish poverty as a virtue. This is, in fact, the only time he directs someone to sell their possessions and give to the poor like this. He says, go sell, give, and come follow because what the man had, what he possessed, actually had him. His possessions possessed him. And, and the instructions to go sell, give, and come follow Again, not a universal mandate for anyone who follows Jesus. It was directly specific for this guy whose identity was upside down and overshadowed by his stuff. He needed to make a clean break in order to make Jesus his priority, in order to do what he was asking about how to do. Now, sometimes when it comes to our finances and our, our possessions, we can think of that, that who we are is tied up in what we have. Our value is connected to how much we earn, what we possess what we can achieve. But the reality is our money and our possessions actually tie up our heart. That's where our heart can get stuck because it follows our treasure. And, and our money, as we lean into understanding the reality is our money always points to our priorities. Our money always points to our priorities. This, this man was seeking something. Money, money is a tool, but it's also a gauge because our heart our heart is connected to it. It reveals what we value and, and what we make priority. It points out or points to what our priorities are. Again, the invitation to go sell, give, and come follow was not universal, was specific to this man because he struggled. And, and we can struggle in our value and identity with our possessions, but really our possessions tie up our heart because our heart follows our treasure. Our money will always point to our priorities. That's one reason why it feels so personal to talk about money. It's why it feels like it's just a private matter. And it's also why Jesus talked about it so much. Our faith in him has to get to the point that it moves past just a belief, that it moves to a place of trust. And one of the surest ways we express trust is how we handle our treasure, how we handle our possessions. See, faith is more than just belief. It must include surrender. It must include an element of trust. And a faith that stops with belief and lacks trust isn't really the true faith of leading and following behind Jesus. Perhaps you can think about it this way. And you can draw this in your block on your note guide because we're not doing an easel today. You can just write stuff in there all you want. Desire 
plus belief plus an action is the demonstration of trust. If we have a desire for someone or something, and we believe that it's possible, we, we believe that we should, we take action on that thing, that is the demonstration of trust. In lots of different arenas, have the desire, believe we should and can, we step in action and we get to trust. But we do the same thing with our things like this, but we do the same thing with God as well. We can say, look, I have a desire to be in a relationship with God. I believe what he has said. I believe I can step in relationships with him through Jesus. So I take the action and we demonstrate trust. This is the process by which we move from just playing in belief to actually stepping into trust. Desire to belief that steps into the action we act on leads to trust, and when we do that with God, it leads to freedom. Trust isn't as much about faith as it is about surrender, taking the risk in the action, yielding to the priority that He has for us. We can believe, but if we don't obey, if we don't yield, if we don't surrender, we don't act on that desire and that belief, well, then it's not really trust. To experience all that God has for us in life, we have to step in action in doing what He says. We have to choose to trust Him. And I'm going to tell you, trust is a choice, and it goes first. Trust is a choice, and it goes first. Hey, take this same chair right here, or maybe the chair you came in and sat in today. It's highly likely that none of you actually tested the chair. You just kind of plopped down in it, I imagine. You just sat down. It's not likely you tested to see if it was going to hold you or not. You came in with a desire to sit. You believed the chair would hold you, so you sat, meaning you put trust in the chair. It's normal. It's natural. It's what we do. It's not the same thing, though, if you and I walk into the space and we want, this, we want the chair to be proven trustworthy before we sit in it. We want somebody to, to test it, to shake it, to make sure it's solid enough that we can actually step on it. I recovered. <laughs> and then it'll hold our weight. It's not the same. You can say, Sean, look, look, you can tell me, Sean, you don't have to stand on the chair to know that it's going to hold you. But, but if I require you to prove that it's trustworthy, we're no longer dealing in trust. We're actually at best dealing with convincing or just acquiescence. Trust is a choice. And trust goes first. See, trust compels us to go first. If we wait to demonstrate trust, we wait for proof, then we're no longer dealing with trust. It's just convincing. Trust goes first, and trust is a choice. This is part of the problem for the rich young man. It's part of the reason Jesus set him up to do the thing he's supposed to do, to go sell, give, and come follow. See, he, like many of us, felt the need for a different level of relationship with God. Felt like something was missing. Yet, even though faith overcomes fear as we choose to trust, he was positioned to allow trust to be first. That trust goes first. So let's see what happens here, because he's poised with an opportunity to step to more before the music stops in his life. And it's an invitation to go sell, give, and come follow. So this is verse 22, and I'm switching to the message version in this. The man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear. And he walked off with a heavy heart. With a heavy what? Heart, heart. A heavy what? Heart, heart. Our, our heart follows our treasure. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. This man walks away sad. 
Our money points to our priorities. Now hear me, Jesus could have gone first in this conversation. He could, have, he could have actually said, look, I'm going to show you that if you go sell, give, and come follow me, this is what's going to happen. If you do that, I will do X, Y, Z. He could have actually included that and gone first in the dynamic. He could have shown him that, that he would have ended up with more if he would have gone and sold and given and come and followed, that he would have ended up with great peace. He would have found contentment in life. And for many of us, I think that's what we want from God. We want him to go first. But trust goes first. Trust compels us to risk first, to love, to obey, without the promise of return. Faith is not faith if we see it, if it's proven. All it is is convincing. So listen, this interaction is not about following rules. In fact, you and I can follow rules, and and we can even believe, but still stop short of following Jesus. That is what this rich young man was doing, because there was a limit to the trust he was willing to give. The problem wasn't rules. He'd done well with the rules since he was a kid. The problem was priorities, not the rules. And our money always points to our priorities. And this rich young man was willing to follow rules, but not willing to follow Jesus. And quite honestly, I think we too can struggle with that. I know I have struggled with that. Theologian and author A.W. Tozer, I think, captures this problem really clearly when he wrote these words. Things have become necessary to us, a development never originally intended. God's gifts now take the place of God, and the whole course of nature is upset by the monstrous substitution. Our heart follows our treasure. Be careful what you cling to. Jesus longs for all of us to cling to him, to believe him, to put our trust in him. But during his time on earth, even in this season where he's interacting with the rich young man, he didn't always give the invitation to every person to literally leave all their stuff and follow him on the road practically. He always invited them to follow in trust and belief, but he didn't always invite people to come and leave everything behind. He he did it with the 12 disciples. He did it with a few other people. He's doing it right here with the rich young man. But there were actually circumstances where he sent people who wanted to follow him back. He sent them back to their hometown to to go share what he had done there. One of the most recent ones was five chapters before we're reading. is the story of the man who was healed from demon possession. He wanted to follow Jesus, and Jesus says, no, go back. Go tell what has happened. So the invitation that's taking place here was very, very significant. It was special. But it wasn't significant enough for the rich young man man to let go of his stuff. So he misses out on what could have been. Look, if we're not willing to handle our money the way Jesus instructs, we run the risk of losing more than we realize. We can't allow our heart to follow money and think that it will also follow him. It's not how that works. We have to choose. Trust is a choice. Trust goes first. In fact, that choice goes all the way back to where Jesus said, look, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Right after that, in in Matthew 6, verse 24, he says this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Cannot serve both God and what? 
Listen, it's a choice. We have to choose. And this was the rich young man's crisis. Jesus knew it. He understood it. He knew what the man needed to do. That's why I invited him to go sell, give, then come and follow. And he also knew that, that freedom comes in letting go. For you and I, freedom comes in letting go, but burden comes in holding on. Freedom comes in letting go of fear. Freedom comes in letting go of our finances. Freedom comes in letting go of the false pressure to achieve on our own. Freedom comes in letting go, but burden comes in holding on. And every crisis of will, every battle for our heart ends when we answer the question, who do we trust? Answering the question, who has what? And every time we choose to trust ourselves, it leads to burden. It leads to less. But trusting God always leads to more. And I realize for some today, this dynamic plays out in money, but it's not about money. This is actually about your soul. This is about your heart and who has it. It's important. Who has what matters. A relationship with Jesus is the key. It's about following him. It's about trusting in him. For us to be rich in faith based on our own accomplishments, what we can achieve, how well we follow the rules, is to bear the weight of our own spiritual health. But when we acknowledge our spiritual poverty, we acknowledge our, our need for God, our dependence on Him, our, our trust in Him, we, we acknowledge our need for Jesus, when we acknowledge before Jesus that all that we are and all that we have is His, we offer that to His grace, the weight of our spirituality, the weight of our success, the weight of our provisions or even possessions is lifted off our shoulders and placed squarely on His, right where it should be when we choose to trust in Him. Freedom comes with letting go. Anytime we trust God, it will always lead to more. Trusting in ourselves always leads to less. So what? Well, some trust in chairs of money. Some of us trust in chairs of contracts, guarantees, achievements, success. Some trust in the chairs of just following rules. And, and we use our, our speed and our skill to get into the seat. And we rely on our, our ability to respond to the changing music of life to navigate the complexity. I'm going to tell you, all of that leads to burden. And none of it leads to freedom. When we choose to place our trust in Jesus, that's what leads to freedom. When we choose to place our trust in Jesus, well, well now we can navigate the ever-changing music of life. And we can navigate people vying for limited resources and even navigate people not following the rules. When we choose to trust in Him, when we choose to trust in Jesus, there is freedom. After Jesus said, look, you can't serve two masters, you can only serve one, you gotta, you gotta choose. He goes on to say something very significant that highlights that there's freedom in choosing to trust Him. 
This is Matthew 6. This is moving on, verse 25 and into verse 30. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? My friends, the, the game of musical chairs is based in scarcity. And scarcity creates competition where we need to perform or outperform those around us to stay in. It, it, it creates a tension of, of competition. It creates a selfishness out of self-preservation to stay in the game. It creates the thinking of if, if you get, I don't. If I get, you don't. It actually positions us to devalue people and to embrace fear and, and distrust because it becomes it's us versus them. And so we end up not talking about what we have and we're not talking about what we possess. It's private, it's off limits. But what would happen to the game if everybody had a chair? What would happen to the game if we shared? If we gave generously? Well, the pressure would be off. There'd be a lot less competition or confrontation in the game. <laughs> Fewer people would get hurt. <laughs> There'd be less disappointment. And nobody would be out. It'd probably be pretty boring as a game. But it's not boring in life. It's good in life. It's good for people. See, we were created to love and use the right way. We were created to love people and use things. Not love things and use people. And that reality positions us to be a people who are generous. A people who trust. A people who manage what they possess in a way where it never possesses them. Because we serve a God who knows what we need before we even ask. We serve a God who is known as Jehovah Jireh our provider. He gives and he gives abundantly. The pressure is on him to deliver. He's provider. The pressure is on him to deliver if we will trust and come and follow. If we will let go and come and follow. Our job is to listen and obey. Our job is to place our trust in him, him who is trustworthy. And when we prove ourselves trustworthy with what we have, well, then we can be given more. But it requires us to choose to trust and to choose to trust first. There are actually two truths that we've looked at before, we even touched on last week, that I think anchored this entire conversation. They're not the most earth-shattering but might very well be the most dangerous and complex and costly when we get it wrong. 
just like the rich young man. The first is simply that our heart was not created to lead, but to follow. This is something we've talked about before. This is, we've dug into this before. It's maybe not new for you. But understanding that our heart was created to lead, not to follow is, excuse me, heart was created to, to not to lead, but to follow is incredibly important. Our heart will always be where our treasure is. And God asks for our money so he can have our heart. He directs the use of our money so he can have and lead our heart. Our heart was not created to lead, but to follow. So lead it. Lead it to him. Colossians 3 verse 1 tells us that, that since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. When we choose to follow Jesus, when we choose to put our trust in him, we are free. And in that freedom, we can set our hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Let your heart be set on his priorities. Choose him first. If we don't choose him, we're not free. It's only in him that we can live in the freedom that we were created for. But once we do, choose to set your heart on things above. Lead it. God does not want your money. He wants your heart. But he can't have your heart if you don't manage your money right. If you mismanage your money, he can't have your heart. It's connected. So set your heart towards him. Align your heart to his priorities. Let him have your heart. Let him have priority in your life. Because our heart was not created to lead but to follow. The second is that God doesn't mind if we have stuff. He minds his stuff has us. Again, not a new concept. It's something we looked at before, but incredibly complicated if we don't get this right. He is not after your money. He's after your heart. And when he has your heart, then he can influence every other area of your life because everything in your life flows from your heart. The rich young man was trying to live with limited trust, trying to live with limited faith, a faith where he followed rules, but his identity was still in his stuff. His stuff had him. It was in what he had accomplished. It was what he had earned. It was what he had acquired. But trust always involves surrender. And the rich young man didn't want to fully surrender, mainly because of the cost he perceived in it. But when we pick and choose in areas of surrender, it's really not surrender. When it comes to surrender and trust, in Jesus, we either are or we are not. It's not a pick and choose a la carte. So I invite you to trust him with everything. And there's a caution in this that comes from Psalm 62. And if your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. God wants to bless. He wants to entrust those who are trustworthy. And when he trusts you with more, don't let that thing pull you back. Don't let it become the center of your life. Lead your heart. You know, we'll never really know, but I, I tend to think that the rich young man, if he would have followed what Jesus said, would have ended up receiving far more than he ever had and certainly would have found a place of peace if he'd been willing to let go, to demonstrate trust, to, to choose to depend on Jesus because freedom comes in letting go, burden comes in holding on. So I guess the question I have for us for you is where is your trust? To honestly step back in your life and ask where is your trust? Trust is a choice. It goes first. And faith overcomes fear as we choose to trust. So where is your trust? Don't worry about tomorrow. Worry about who has your heart. Worry about where your trust is. The who has what equation actually matters. And the battle for our heart 
ends when we answer the question, who has what? Jesus, in that whole conversation around treasure in Matthew 6, goes on to say this in verses 31 to 33. He says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. My friends, trust is a choice, and trust goes first. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his priorities. You can have stuff. Don't let stuff have you. Take that first step of trust. Maybe it's in giving lordship in, in, uh, Jesus' lordship in, in your life today. Do that. Or maybe it's taking the things that you have held to for stability and control and comfort and releasing them back to him, making sure that your heart is aligned to him and not to your stuff. I'm convinced that God is looking for men and women who are willing to have the courage to trust him more than anything else. To align their lives to his rules and his priorities. To let him determine who has what in their lives. By choosing to trust and trusting him first. Taking that step to say, I trust you. I choose to trust you with all that I am and all that I have. He is trustworthy. He is more than able. I challenge you this day, this week, to do an inventory in your life. Resolve who has what. And choose to trust and do it first. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a good and gracious God, and you are the giver of all good things. And it's unfortunate that sometimes we allow those things to take our heart, that the very good gifts you've given us have taken the place of you, the good God, in our lives. And I pray, Jesus, that you would help us to be a people who trust in you and you alone, who choose to look to you, who, who don't put our identity or our confidence or our hope in any possession or thing, but we put our confidence and identity and hope in you. That we're willing to trust in the complexities of life when we can't see, when we don't know. And that we would be a people who when this journey is over, you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Because we have allowed our heart to be aligned to you. We have submitted to your priorities. And we've used the time, talent, treasure you've given us for your purpose and your glory. So Jesus, continue to speak and move. Show us where we need to align and move some stuff around so that our stuff never has us. And may you be pleased and glorified in our sacrifice, in our obedience, in our faithfulness to you as we each choose to trust. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen.